Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Yeah. We're excited that you are here, and uh, I'm excited about the word that we're going to get into in just a moment. want to make mention of a few things. The first thing, we always love to pray for a church. Before we do that, though, uh, I just want to let you know of something that uh, about a week and a half ago was brought to our attention, and there was a, a, a local church just, just outside of Paris that um, was in an old building, and uh, things are just falling apart. For the last two and a half years, come to find out, they've been in this slow process of uh, trying to build another building right next to that one to uh, be able to have church in. And uh, one of our elders uh, came across this need that they had and so um, presented it to, to all of us and, and we just felt like the Lord was in it and it was something that we were supposed to do. And uh, so on Monday, this last week on Monday, we were able to meet this, this couple uh, right here at the church and uh, hear their story and, and what God's doing through them and their faithfulness. And um, we were talking about how humbling it was and how much of an honor it was to stand in this room with this couple. And, and uh, the elders that were available were able to be here and their wives and, and we were here. And, and uh, just how we recognize that we are literally standing on the shoulders of people and men and women that have gone before us and, and pastors that have gone before us and those that have been faithful for 30, 40, 50 years to preaching the word and, and doing what God's called them to do in the good times and in the bad times uh, and in the difficult times, right? And, uh, and so we were able to meet this couple here and, and just uh, because of, and I've just got to tell you, and I know we say this a lot, but because, of, because you are so generous as a church and you're giving, and, uh, and I know you're generous. We had people here yesterday, you know, working and cleaning and painting and and uh, finishing out projects and things like that, just kind of as a, a spring thing. We were trying to get some things done, and you're generous with your time, and you serve, and, but you're also generous financially. Um, and there are many, many of you that give regularly to, to the work that God is doing, and because of your generosity, uh, there was a, a chunk of money that they needed to be able to finish this out, and somebody had, had stolen money, you know, from, from the project and different things that were going on, and and uh, because of your generosity, we were able to sow into um, helping them finish out their church building um, that we were talking to them and we were excited. We thought, what would it look like for them to be in there, come on, by Easter Sunday because, because of the generosity of people in the same community that are able to do something. Come on. That's, we, were, we were talking about it just amongst ourselves and, and as elders and, and just this thought that, that that's building the kingdom. Come on, it's not about building our own kingdom. It's about building the kingdom. And that's what we want to be about. And I think we have, do we have some of those pictures that you can throw up there? This was, this was the church that, uh, that they have been meeting in. You can go to the next one. I think we have a few more. That's the one that they've been in the process of building for, like I think they said over two and a half years, just as slow as they get money, you know, like, and, and just the struggle there. Uh, the two that are beside each other, and uh, this is in, if you know where Ambia, I think that's how you say it, Ambia, Texas is, kind of out near Roxton and, you know, out in that area. Anyways, that's where this is at, and then I think we have, do we have some of the pictures we were able to take with them, the couple that, uh, 
that is serving there, and uh, yeah, it was, I've, I got to tell you, and here's, and here's what I want to do, um, I, I, I told them, we were, we were here on Monday, and we were talking about this, and we were able to sow into this, and, and they were just so thankful, and, and tears, and just emotions, and all of the things, and, and I told them, I said, not only are we going to be able to do this, but I said, on Sunday, uh, we're going to have our entire congregation pray for you, and pray for your church, and so that is, um, that's what I want to do today. That's the church that I want us to pray for today. It's New Light Baptist Church is the name of the church there in Ambia, Texas. So come on, will you bow your heads and let's just let's, let's lift them up today and just believe that, man, they're going to see the fruit of their faithfulness, that God is, you know, we know that God is faithful and that he's going he's gonna to just exceed their expectations in, in what he's calling them to do. So Lord, we thank you today for, uh, for once again, so many great churches. Lord, we don't want to be about our own kingdom. We want to be about your kingdom and sowing where, where you lead us to sow and doing what you call us to do. So, Lord, right now we lift up New Light Baptist Church to you, and we thank you for their pastor. We thank you for this couple. We thank you for their leadership and their congregation. And, Lord, those that aren't even there yet, yet that you, uh, you want to use, even this new facility as they finish it out, to be a blessing to them, to reach people for you and disciple people. And, God, we thank you for it. We lift them up right now, and we pray that you would bless them like never before, that your favor would be on them like never before, that you would do something so significant in that congregation and in them and through them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Come on, and everybody said... Amen. Yeah. All right. So you heard about the serve team rally. That's coming up in a couple of weeks, April the 2nd, 5 to 7. Uh, food will be provided. Want to give you some important information, talk about Easter, um, fellowship together, and, uh, and just a way to, to speak into you. I feel like there's a, there's a specific word for uh, that night that God's put in my heart that, that I think he wants to encourage us with. And so I want to encourage you to be here that night. Uh, if you serve on any team in our church, you can be here for that. Um, Easter, you heard that, service times, we'll keep reminding you about that on Sunday, April the 9th, and uh, like we said last week, if uh, we would encourage you, if you invite somebody and they want to come at 10 o'clock, then by all means, come and sit next to them at 10 o'clock, uh, but if you're a regular attender of Impact Church, we are trying to make room in the 10 o'clock service because that's the primary service that most people will want to attend if they're coming and, it's, and you know, their family's coming on Easter or whatever. So maybe you would come at 8.30 and serve at 10 or serve at 10 and then stay for the 11.30 service and be a part of worship that way. And that would be super helpful. And then, uh, and then the last thing I want to mention, I told you about this a few weeks ago, but back in the back at the end of the hallway from 8 to 8.45 in the mornings before service, uh, if you want to come and be a part of just having an opportunity to pray, uh, we have developed that into not only our Next Steps room, but it is, uh, it's, it's our prayer room. And so there's, you know, some furniture in there, and we've got, you know, music that's going to be playing and things. So if you want to be here early and you just want to have some time to pray, you know, you and your spouse or, or bring your family or just you, and you're like, man, I just want to be, you know, in that room and praying with, with other believers. I know we've enjoyed being able to be back there and, and, and pray. So that's available to you. want to make you uh, aware of that as well. So... We, uh, we're in this series where we're going through uh, the book of 1 Peter in your Bible. Hopefully you've been reading through that as we're going through the series, maybe even a chapter a day, and uh, just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through the living, active, come on, Word of God, and uh, allowing Him to speak to you through that. And if you missed chapter 1 or 2, I would encourage you to get that on the podcast. I'm not going to go back through any of that for the sake of time. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to continue to read through 1 Peter, and, and we've got a few more weeks in this series taking us all the way up to Easter. Today we're jumping into chapter 3, and uh, I'm going to change it up on you a little bit. 
Um, I was reading, I like to read a lot, I don't know if you're like this or not, but I like to, one thing I love about the Bible app, I do think it's good for you to have a physical paper Bible. I think that that's important. I think there's something about holding it in your hand. I do, I, I do see value in that. One of the things I love about the Bible app, though, is that you can read so many translations, and you can read a passage, and then go to another translation and see what it says, and, and, uh, and, and footnotes and different things like that. Today, uh, I want to read from the Amplified Bible. And so it's going to be a little more wordy, but the reason I want to read from the Amplified Bible is because I love the way that it goes uh, in depth into what some of these words mean and the phrases and different things like that. Um, and so we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 3 today. And, uh, and I know that this is, um, I, I was telling my wife this last week, I said, I, said, I, th- I feel like what I need to, what I need to get up and, and say at the beginning before we jump into 1 Peter chapter 3 is um, at the risk of losing all the wives from our church, we're going to jump into <laughs> First Peter. Has anybody read First Peter chapter three? Come on, anybody been anybody been anxious about this day? And you're like, what is he going to say about wives, you know, and husbands in First Peter chapter three? Make you nervous, but uh, I think it's important for us. To, I think it's important for us to talk about because it's in the Bible. Um, it's in the Bible, and it's important. So what I want to try to do is based on my study and my interpretation, I want to try to bring to light, you know, some things that sometimes can be difficult to talk about. So let's jump in, just the first couple of verses. This is what it says, uh, verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, he says in the same way. you got to go back to what we talked about in chapter 2. And, and I, I told you that we were kind of entering into this whole, like, you know, th- this word that, that most of us don't really care for, this word submit, right? And he's talking about submitting to, in this area and submitting in this way and submitting in this way. He says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God, and so partnering with them, so that even if some do not obey the word of God, they may be won over to Christ without discussion by the godly lives of their wives. When they see your modest and respectful behavior, together with your devotion and appreciation, love your husband, encourage him, and enjoy him as a blessing from God. So right out of the gate, come on, right out of the gate, we're talking about two verses that most people would say are controversial verses, right? These verses, a lot of times, as I was thinking through this, a lot of times these verses can be misused. Anybody ever, you know, known these verses to be misused in a way, you know, to to be dogmatic about something? Or uh, sometimes these verses can be ignored. Anybody just ever, you know, anybody ever just read through this? We went through a series uh, about a year and a half ago through Ephesians, and you get to Ephesians 5, you know, and and anybody ever just read through that and you're like, ah, we'll just go on, you know, to, let's just go on to the next thing. It's like, all right, chapter four, right? You know, just kind of breeze right through that because sometimes we really don't get it and we don't understand it and we don't like it um, because a lot of times we don't like what it, what it, what we think it implies. We don't like it because of what we've grown up being told that it meant. Um, what we've experienced in the past or things like that. And so I think sometimes it's misused. Sometimes these verses are ignored. Um, and it's important for you to know these verses, um, they, they do not mean that wives will never disagree with their husbands. Come on, can I get an amen? <laughs> it does not mean that wives are called to just stay in abusive situations and abusive relationships. That's not what, that's not what the word of God is getting at. Um, sometimes we just take it at, face value and think that this is what it means but i think there's something a little bit deeper here Um, the beginning of these verses i mentioned a minute ago it says in the same way which means we need to go back and look at what has peter been previously talking about what has he been previously saying because this wasn't written in chapter and verse 
you know, Peter didn't like stop writing and then write, you know, chapter 3 and then start writing something different. No, it was like one entire letter. So you got to go back and, and look at what has he been talking about. So he's been talking about uh, our lives, you know, uh, how we live our lives in honor and respect for governing authorities. We talked about that last week. He's been talking about our lives and how we live and, uh, and, and what we should do with even unkind authority figures or, or the people, like the people that we work for, our bosses, our you know, employers, things like that, you know, even on a more personal level, you know, like government authority, personal level, like this submission, this honor, this respect. And now he's bringing up husbands. And, and even specifically, if you look at this and you study a little bit, I think that it's even talking about unbelieving husbands. That even if he doesn't believe the word of God, this is what may bring him to God. And so he's talking about these, these different areas. He's bringing up I think, unbelieving husbands, and I think this is what Peter is getting at with submission to government authorities in our workplaces and at home and all this that he's talking about, is that submission is not about obedience to, this, to an earthly entity, but it's about obedience to Christ. If you go back and you even look at Ephesians 5, which is another passage that we, you know, like we tend to think is so controversial and it's difficult to read, and it's difficult, you know, sometimes to understand and swallow um, it's, it's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not obedience to an earthly entity. That's the important thing. It's that ultimately our obedience is to Christ and what he's called us to. Now, I think that submission is an act of humility. It's an, it's an act of humbling ourselves, even in the midst of something difficult, even in the midst of what we don't think it should look like, even in the midst of what we don't want it to look like. We humble ourselves and we obey what, what God has called us to do. Now, here are some important things to know about submission. Here's the first thing, okay, very important. Submission is voluntary. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> submission is voluntary. Voluntary. Anybody ever you, you ever, you ever had somebody try to make you do something? What happens when somebody tries to make you do something? It makes you want to run the opposite direction even harder. Like, trying to make you do something. And here's what's interesting to me about submission, because I think that one of the misused things about the word submission, whether it's government authorities, or it's talking about husbands and wives, or it's talking about, you know, our, our bosses, our employers, things like that, is that we, we tend to, when we're in the position of somebody who needs to be submitted to, we take those verses and we say, you better submit. I'm your employer, I'm your husband, I'm your whatever, you fill in the blank, like this is what you need to do. But submission is a voluntary act. And I was thinking about this, God, anybody thankful today that God doesn't do this with us? I ask you a question, God, did you wake up this morning and God made you come to church? No, you got up and you came to church because out of your submission to God and out of your reverence for God and out of your love for God and your love to be around God's people, you wanted to come to church. You were not, you, you did not wake up and because church is important, God slapped you over the head when you got up this morning and said, go, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, it's voluntary. We voluntarily came today. Here's, here's another one. Vol submission is voluntary. Submission isn't about value. Submission is not equal to value. It's not about it's not about how valuable you are. That because, you know, like we're like submit 
to government authority because you are less valuable than those over here in government authority. That's not what it's saying. Submit to because you are less than. That's not what it's talking about. And even in this context, you've got to understand that both men and women are, we're both created in the image of God. We're both created in the image of God and we have value to God. Like God values both men and women. I love one commentary said it this way. said that there are both military and sporting analogies associated with the meaning of the word submit. It can refer to the act of falling in line. For example, each soldier reporting to his proper place. Or, for another example, each team member respecting how the team works and acknowledging and participating in his assigned position. This is even a picture of the body of Christ. That God has gifted you and God has gifted me and that some of us, you know, it's like when you think about it, it's, it's kind of funny to think about, but some of us are a foot and some of us are a hand and some of us are an eye and we all need each other and it doesn't mean that any of us are less valuable. It, ju- it just means that this is where God has placed us. This is where we are and that we complement one another. Here's the, the last thing is submiss- submission is not passivity. It's not about, submission is not about being a doormat. It's not about just just rolling over and letting anybody just run over you. Like, we have to understand, because I think this is how sometimes we misunderstand this. And this is why we don't like this word. It's because we have either been taught a certain way, or understood it a certain way, or didn't understand it in the right way. And so we, we, we thought of it a certain way, and it's got a bad taste in our mouth, and so we don't want to do it. I don't want to submit in that way. I don't want to submit in that way. I don't want to submit that way. But submission, it's voluntary. It's, it's not about value. It's not about being less than or greater than. It's, it's not a passive thing. And in these verses, the first two verses, and I know we're spending a lot of time on the first two verses. I promise we're going to move on in just a moment. But I think that Peter's talking about how, um, I, think, I, I think the underlying, if you go back to the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, I think the underlying theme is you being a witness. Me being a witness. He's saying, honor and respect, submit to authority, government authority. Like, in the way that you honor, in the way that you respect, in the way that you live your life in this way, you can be a witness to those people. When it comes to your boss, your employer, the people like, like more direct in your life, that when you live in this, in this way and you're obedient to the word of God in this way, that you can be a witness. And even here, when he's talking about this, he says what? He says, And even if your husbands don't obey the word of God, by the way that they see you living your life, by you living and operating in this way, they can come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. By the way that they see you living. It's about witness. It's about living our lives in a way that witnesses in these areas of our lives. Like the way that I'm living, because I'm living and honoring and respecting in this way, I'm being a witness in this area of my life. It's about being a witness. Then he goes on, and this is uh, the next, next few verses, verses 3 through 6. He says, your adornment, so he's still talking to wives. He says, your adornment must, be merely, must not be merely external, with interweaving and elaborate knotting of the hair and, weaving go- and wearing gold jewelry or being superficially preoccupied with dressing in expensive clothes, but let it be the inner beauty of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality and unfading charm 
of a gentle and peaceful spirit. One that is calm and self-controlled, not over-anxious, but serene and spiritually mature, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands and adapting themselves to them, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, following him and having regard for him as head of their house, calling him Lord. And you have become her daughters if you do what is right without, without being frightened by any fear, that is, being respectful towards your husband but not giving in to intimidation, nor allowing yourself to be led into sin, nor to be harmed. Um, I want to go back before we jump into this, and one of the thought that I just had about the first couple of verses and, and, and husbands coming to know Jesus by the way that their wives live their lives because of how they're honoring them and how they're honoring God and being obedient to, to God. Um, it's interesting to me to think, and I don't know if you've ever viewed it this way, but it's like, um, you women, you have a lot of power. Like Peter's saying that your husband can, can look at the way and experience the way that you live your life and actually see Jesus because of it. That even if, like, without discussion, without having to say anything, but just by honor and respect and living according to the word of God, that he can actually see Jesus through you in his life. Even if, even if he won't obey the word of God. All right, so in verses 3 through 6, Peter's... Um, you know, he's talking about dress and how you dress and, and things like that. And Peter's not saying that women, you know, <laughs> I was thinking about this. He's not saying that women can't look nice and that you can't dress nice and that you can't wear. It's like, well, I've got a, you know, I'm reading that. And it's like, well, I have like a gold ring on right now. It's like, it, it's not about the surface level things. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's saying not that you can't do those things, but that shouldn't be the focus. That shouldn't be where you're finding value. That shouldn't be what you're all about in your life. Like, it, sh it should be deeper than that. It should be that who I am on the inside is more important than how I'm dressing and what I'm wearing and how I'm presenting myself on the outside. On the inside is what matters. And, and here's the reality, okay? Culture puts a lot of pressure on women. Can we just be honest for a minute? Culture puts a lot of pressure on women to look a certain way, to be a certain way, to dress a certain way, to carry themselves a certain way. I, I was studying a little bit of this research that nearly 70%, listen to this, 70% of teenage girls feel insecure about the way that they look. So you find 10 teenage girls, 7 of those 10 may not say it, but they feel insecure about the way they look. Why? Because of what culture says. Because of all the comparison that we can do. Because of all the other people that we see and the people that we see on the front of magazines and how we think we need to look to be presentable or to appear a certain way. Another one said that up to 92% would like to change something about their physical appearance. 92%. Get 100 women together and 92 of them want to change something about the way that they look. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And Peter is trying to say, hey, God created you 
and, and your outward appearance and how you present yourself and having the right jewelry and having the right watch and having the right thing and wearing the right clothes and making sure that you can keep up with the Joneses. And if your last name is Jones in here, that's, you know. <laughs> I'm looking at two of them over here. <laughs> Keeping, like, got to keep up appearance or whatever. Peter's saying, no, what's important is what's on the inside of you. Because it's what's on the inside of you that matters. And that's what can make a difference. And so he's saying, don't, don't get so focused on outward appearance being everything. Outward elements are not the source of beauty. They're not the source of value. It's inner beauty that should be more of the focus. Now, we get to the part, um, we get to the part where <laughs> Sarah is used as an example. Anybody ever read this before? And Sarah is risen. <laughs> I'm hearing it right. Mm-hmm. What you going to say about this? Sarah's used as an example, right? And it says, because she called, and, and, and it's almost like in no matter what translation you read, like, Lord, Master, to which every woman in the room would read that and say, you can go ahead and move on because I'm not calling my husband Lord or Master, right? Is anybody with me today? <laughs> you read that and you're like, I don't know what that means. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but this is 2023, and I'm not calling him Lord. <laughs> like, wake up in the morning, it's like, Lord, can I get you anything today? <laughs> this is the part where it's like you lose all the women <laughs> in the room. But I, just, just to kind of give you a little bit, a little bit of context, okay? Uh, the term Lord in those days in, in culture, in ancient times, it was a common title that was used for honor and respect. Okay? So take the, you know, take the <gasps> away from, you know, this term. It's, it's referring to honor and respect. That Sarah had a way that she lived her life in a way that honored and respected her husband. And it, it reminds me of, I won't read all of it, but I've been referencing Ephesians 5, just the last verse of that passage in Ephesians 5 where Paul's talking about the marriage relationship. And this is what he says, verse 33. However, each man among you without exception is to love his wife as his very own self with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness and the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. And I have, and I have told you this before. I told you this when we were going through Ephesians 5. I mentioned this in other messages where we've referenced this or whatever. These are the number one needs of men and women. This is not a bad thing. This is like... This is saying, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is writing down, husbands, here's what you need to do for your, here's how you need to treat your wife and how you need to love your wife, because this is how she's wired. Wives, this is how you need to honor and respect your husband, because this is how he created and wired. And this is how we speak love to one another at the base level. It's love and respect. There's a book. I've mentioned it before. Love and respect. The entire book is about this concept. That this is how God created us. And Paul is not trying to be like, you need to do this and you need to do this. And if you're not, you're getting it wrong. No, he's saying, you, like, this is how your marriage can thrive. 
is if you will operate in this way, your marriage can thrive because this is how God created you and the one who created you inspired this to be written down in the word of God for us to read so that we can read it and be like, hmm, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something to the God who created me and knows me inside and out actually putting something in his written word that helps me know how our marriage can actually thrive and at the highest level. That this is an important concept. So it's, it's the number one needs of, of men and women. And um, I was reading some things on this as I was studying this and, and just some things that I was reading is that uh, this isn't an instruction for women to just do whatever their husband tells them to do all the time. And, and one thing that was pointed out was even the fact that Sarah, you know, we talked about earlier, it's not about, it, it's not about being a doormat. It's not about just going with the flow all the time. And, and it doesn't mean that, that w- there's never going to be disagreement. And, and one commentary pointed out how Sarah confronted Abraham about things. Like it's using Sarah as an example But Sarah was also somebody who confronted Abraham about some things. And in one instance, God tells Abraham to listen to her. In Genesis chapter 21, this one says, God said to Abraham, do not let it distress you because of Ishmael and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her and do what she asks, for your descendants will be named through Isaac. In other words, God was saying, no, I'm going to use Sarah in this moment to speak to you, and you need to pay attention to what she's saying. So, so, it's give and take. There are roles in this. Like there's the importance of the God who created us trying to show us how he designed marriage to look like and how it can thrive. And Peter is expressing this importance for, in this instance, for uh, respect and honor for the husband. And now Peter jumps into husbands. And in verse 7 he says, In the same way you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way with great gentleness and tact with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship. As with someone physically weaker, since she is a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Did you catch that? Show her honor and respect as a fellow heir, as equal, an equal heir of the grace of life so that your prayers, check this out, so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. Hmm. What do we see here? Instruction for husbands. I see gentleness toward our wives how you doing with that one tact with your wife honor towards your wife respect towards your wife and i was thinking about when when god created man and woman if you go back to genesis god creates woman and and here's what he said he said i'm going to create a helper i'm going to create somebody who can help you i'm going to create somebody to walk alongside you to be in relationship with you we're partners in the marriage relationship. And when we fulfill our roles as husband and wife, our marriage thrives. And here's the warning that Peter gives to us as husbands. And just putting it in my own terms, mistreating our wives. He talks about gentleness, he talks about tax, he talks about honor, he talks about respect. And he says, listen, you need, to, you need to live this way and treat your wife this way. And here's what he says, so that your prayers will not be hindered and ineffective. In other words, mistreating our wives is going to hinder our prayers. In other words, the way that we treat our wives is a big deal. It's a big deal. I mean, it's like really, really important to God. 
so that your prayers will not be hindered and ineffective. I love what one writer said. It says that the Bible, speaking to men, the Bible says in effect that if you're going to be God's kingdom man, you've got to spend time with your wife, listen to her, know what her needs are, and grow an understanding of her. And check this out. This is what he said. You can't lead someone whom you don't understand. And I'm just going to get on a, just a soapbox, and then I'll just hop back down, and we'll move on to the next few verses. I think that there have been, I know not you, not anybody in this room, but there have been men, husbands, who have used terminology like, you need to submit, but at the same time have not paid attention to what God calls them to do, and want submission from somebody that they don't even take the time to know and understand so that they can actually lead them. Like we're called to as husbands. Is this too real? Everybody all right? We either, a lot of times we either misuse it, we avoid it, we don't talk about it, we don't want to talk about it, but, li- but listen, it's not a bad thing. Nobody in here would, if I would say, is the word of God a bad thing? Nobody in here would be like, yeah, it's a bad thing. This is in the Bible. This is not in the Bible to condemn anybody or make you feel guilty in this moment. This is in the Bible because God knows how marriage works because he made it. And he's trying to remind us, if you do things this way, it works. It works because it's how you're wired. It's how you were created. Your marriage will thrive, you will be connected, you will be more in tune with each other, you will enjoy your marriage. Like, this is so vitally important. All right, so moving on to verse 8. Some of you are like, thank God. (laughs) Finally, all of you be like-minded, united in spirit, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous and compassionate toward each other as members of one household and humble in spirit. And never return evil for evil or or insult for insult, Avoid scolding, berating, and any kind of abuse. But on the contrary, give a blessing. Pray for one another's well-being, contentment, and protection. For you have been called to this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing from God that brings well-being, happiness, and protection. For the one who wants to enjoy life and see good days, good whether apparent or not, must keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from speaking guile, treachery, deceit, He must turn away from wickedness and do what is right. He must search for peace with God, with self, with others, and pursue it eagerly, actively, not merely desiring it. For the eyes of the Lord are looking favorably upon the righteous or the upright, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, eager to answer. But the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. Now Peter, I love how Peter instructs us on how we're supposed to act toward one another as believers. And I know I said this last week, but I'm like, have you seen a thing in the Bible, about how we're supposed to treat each other and love one another. And like you see things like this, and I think we'll have these on the screen. Sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble. Like the, this is the terminology that, that Peter's using when he says this is how you're supposed to treat one another. This is how you need to be in relationship with one another. These are the things that you need to be about. And Peter goes on to mention, he says, We are called to bless people who insult us or mistreat us or try to harm us. Like, don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay insult for insult. Like, don't retaliate. Let me put a little disclaimer. This would be like in your Bible. You've had one of those Bibles that has the little, you know, the asterisks. 
You go down to the bottom, it's got the little footnote that says something, you know. It's like, here would be my footnote today. Even on social media. <laughs> like, don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Even in written form. Even in typed out form. Verse, if you look at verses 10 through 12, it's a quote from Psalm 34. And in this, in this situation, in this context, David is running from Saul. Anybody ever read this in the Old Testament where David is running from Saul? He's been anointed as king. He goes in. Saul's jealous. You know, like more people are paying attention to David. They sing a song. Come on, if you read this. They sing a song, and Saul's like, why are they singing that song? You know, like Saul's only killed this many, and David's killed way more. And so Saul begins to get jealous. And at one point, David is even, like, David's even in there playing the, the harp. He's like, you know, serenading Saul. And he tries to kill him, like, in the room. And David is on the run from Saul. And even in the midst of that, you'll remember one instance in that where David's in a cave and Saul goes in the Bible. I love the Bible. You ought to read the Bible. And, and, and the Bible says that Saul goes in to relieve himself, a.k.a. he had to go to the bathroom. And he goes into the cave, and David and his men are hiding in the cave, and David has the opportunity to kill him, and he says, no. His men are like, this is your chance. And David's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, that's not, that's not what we're about. That's not how we're going to handle this. We're not taking matters into our own hand. God is going to be faithful. You know, it's all, in, it's all in God's timing. So in the midst of that, David, running from Saul, and trying, you know, they're trying to kill him, and all these things, in, in verses 10 through 12, it's quoting Psalm 34, which is a psalm that was written during that time in David's life. And so he's saying things like, the one who wants to enjoy life and see good days must keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from speaking in a certain way. Turn away from wickedness. Do what is right. Search for peace. I mean, this guy's on, on the run, trying to be killed. Search for peace. Pursue it eagerly, not just desiring it, right? Like, live and operate in this way as a follower of Jesus. And we could summarize it this way. The answer to our problems is not to fight evil with evil, but to always do what's right. It's not about fighting evil with evil. It's about always doing what's right. Even if somebody does something to you, you're somebody who does what's right. Even if somebody treats you a certain way, you're just somebody who does what's right. I'm not going to repay evil for evil. It, th it makes me think, Paul, Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 12. He said, never repay anyone evil for evil. For evil. Take thought for what is right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath and his judicial righteousness. For it is written in scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome and conquered by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. By doing what's right. By always doing the right thing and not repaying evil for evil. What, is, what does Peter tell us to do as he's quoting Psalm 34? He says things like, tame your tongue. Like, what you, like, pay attention to what you're saying. Turn from evil. Do what is right. And pursue peace. It's important. In the next two verses... He goes on, he says, now who is there to hurt you if you become enthusiastic for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, though it is not certain that you will, you are still blessed, happy to be admired and favored by God. Do not be afraid of their intimidating threats, nor be troubled or disturbed by their opposition. He's saying, listen, when people come against you, don't be, don't be intimidated, don't be afraid. Like, trust God. Trust God. And I love this because I think that one thing, I believe that one thing Peter's getting at is, if you're a person who's devoted to good, doing good, he says this at the beginning, he says, if you're a person devoted to being good, who's going to want to hurt you? Because you're always devoted to being good. But then he makes this disclaimer. He says, but even if somebody does insult you or want to harm you or want to do you know, evil against you, but even though in the midst you're doing good, he says, God's got you covered either way. So just keep doing what's right. Keep doing the next right thing. Keep being obedient to the voice of God. Keep following after Jesus. And the good news is that God's got you covered either way if people try to harm you, even in the midst of you just trying to do what's good. And then verses 15 through 17, he says, But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And see to it that your conscience is entirely clear so that every time you are slandered or falsely accused, those who attack uh, or attack your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed will be shamed by their own words. For it is better that you suffer unjustly for doing what is right, if, you, if it should be God's will, than to suffer justly for doing wrong. Now I love, I, and we've quoted verse 15, I love verse 15. And we've quoted it in a way to say, like, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. So if somebody, like, be, be ready in season and out of season. This is how we've, we've taken this. And that is, and I believe that is correct. But have you ever thought about the context of what's being written? Peter is writing to people, we know this from the very first chapter at the very beginning of the letter. He's writing to people that are in trial and persecution and foreigners in a place where they don't belong. He's writing to people that are going through some difficult things. And in the midst of difficult things, what he's writing to them is he says, always be ready to give an explanation for the hope that you have. The hope in what? Even in what you're walking through. You know why I think this is important? Because whenever we continue to have hope and we continue to be obedient to Christ and we continue to live for God and operate our lives in this way, like God honoring, even in the midst of trial and persecution and difficulty and things that we don't understand, here's what, here's what you know to be true, what I know to be true. People notice. People notice. Why would Peter write this down? Because people notice. And because people notice, when you continue to live that way and live for God, even in the midst of real difficult things, he says people notice. And because people notice, you need to always be ready to give them the explanation for why you still have hope, even in the midst of suffering. Because they will notice. And when they notice and they start thinking, how are you still living like that? How are you still serving God even though you're walking through that? How do you still have peace and hope even in the midst of that? They're going to notice and you need to be ready to tell them why you still have hope. It's because your faith is in Jesus Christ and it's a, it's a witnessing evangelistic opportunity. It's an opportunity that when they take notice of how you live in the midst of suffering, that they take notice and you are ready in that moment to tell them and explain to them why you still have hope in the midst of something difficult. Here's the reality that is so powerful is that people take notice when you continue to serve the Lord and display hope in the midst of difficult things. So we need to be ready to explain this hope that we have. And then in verse 17, 
I think that we see a truth that in the world that we live in, the truth is this, everyone's going to suffer. Everybody's going to walk through things. Everybody's going to experience difficulty. But he says, what, he, what does he say in verse 17? For it is better that you suffer for doing what is right than to suffer for doing what is wrong. In other words, here's the, the Gabe Miller paraphrase. You can make decisions that cause you to suffer. And you may suffer or you may suffer even though you're doing what's right. And what Peter says is it's better you're going to suffer in life. There are going to be difficult things, but it's better for you to suffer for doing what's right than for you to suffer from something that you brought on yourself or that you were trying to live it out your own way and doing what's wrong. He says, be a person that's always doing what's right. And even if you suffer, it's better. It's okay that you're suffering through that. God is with you through that. He's going to get glory out of that. He'll bring you through that. But it's better for you to suffer for doing what's right than it is for you to suffer for doing what's wrong. And then look at these last few verses together. Verse 18, for indeed Christ died for sins once for all, the just and righteous for the unjust and unrighteous, the innocent for the guilty, so that he might bring us to God, having, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and preached to the spirits now in prison who, who once were disobedient when the great patience of God was waiting in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons, Noah's family, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, rescue through the flood, baptism, which is an expression of a, new belie- of a believer's new life in Christ, now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but by an appeal to God for a good, clear conscience, demonstrating what you believe to be yours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, that is, the place of honor and authority with all angels and authorities and powers made subservient to him. Jesus died one time for the sins of everybody. One time. Jesus died one time, and I love how the Amplified goes into this detail, and it says it was the just, the righteous, the unjust, the unrighteous, the innocent, the guilty, like it didn't matter when Jesus was hanging on that cross and he gave up his life. He gave it up for everybody. He took the sin of the entire world on himself so that you could make the decision to surrender your life and receive what he did for you and be changed and be transformed. Jesus, Jesus talked about himself this way. He said, this is John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the only way to God and the real truth, and the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is no other way. I know we live in a culture that's like, well, you know, live, like live your own truth and just do you, and, and there's got to be more than one way. You know, it's like we think, of, we, think of, we think of relationship with God almost like a math problem. Well, there's got to be more than one way to get there. Jesus, speaking of himself, said, no, there's only one way. There's only one way, and it's putting your faith in me. Receiving what I did for you so that you could be made right with your Heavenly Father. That's the only way. He says, I did it all. You've just got to receive it. And I love that chapter 3 ends by talking about the importance of water baptism because at the end of our, our 1045 service, um, I think they were, they were telling me, I think it's nine people 
that are following, following Jesus in water baptism today. Come on. Some of you, some of you, you might even want to just like about 12 o'clock, you know, just like slip back in the back door, you know. It's like we went and got a little brunch, and, and we're going to slip back in the back door and watch as we celebrate with everybody who's, who's being water baptized today. And I love how the end of chapter 3, it, it ends by talking about baptism and the importance of water baptism. And, and as a believer, that we've already been baptized into, Jesus, into the body at salvation. And then, and then water baptism, I love because it's a, it's a picture of us identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That the old me is gone. And when I come up out of the water, it's this picture of I'm a new creation. Like I'm leaving all that behind and I'm somebody new. One, one person said it so beautifully, I believe. He said, baptism is a public representation of that which actually saves a believer, one's personal faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. And look at verse 21 again. He says, corresponding to that, rescue through the flood, baptism, which is an expression of a believer's new life in Christ, now saves you not by removing dirt from the body, but by an appeal to God for a good, clear conscience, demonstrating what you believe to be yours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love that last phrase, that it's a picture. It's a demonstration of what you believe to be yours because of what Jesus did for you. And I get excited every time this rolls around where we have people that have made the decision to follow in water baptism and be baptized. And, and it's just this, it is this beautiful, beautiful moment where we're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is the verse, we'll end with this, the verse that we put on our baptism shirts is one that Paul wrote, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. Will you stand to your feet today? I want to pray for you. Our prayer team can go ahead and come down. And, and I would encourage you if, you, if you're if you're still in town or whatever, and you want to slip back in toward the end of that second service and be a part of celebrating, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. We bring in our, our older kids' classrooms during that time because some of their peers are, are making the decision to be water baptized, and we love for them to be able to see that and experience that and celebrate with the people that are in their class, you know, on a weekly basis. But I want to, I want to pray for you. And, uh, and then we're going to sing this last song. And if you need prayer for anything in your life, listen, we all need prayer from time to time. I need prayer. You need prayer. We all need prayer. Sometimes we walk through things and, and we're struggling with things and things are difficult. We, we don't know what to say. And in that moment, we just need somebody to agree with us, to believe with us, to stand with us, to just encourage us, pray over us. And if that's you today, listen, when we sing this last song, you don't have to be ashamed to come down and receive prayer. Come on, we all need prayer from time to time. So I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing this song. And when the worship team begins to sing, if you need prayer for anything in your life, we would, we would love the opportunity to pray with you. So Lord, we thank you today for your word. And thank you for the opportunity to even gather here and worship you. And Lord, we're here for you. This is all about you. And God, I pray that you would grow us in our relationship with you and our knowledge of your word. And Lord, that you would speak to us. You would guide us and lead us. And that we would open ourselves up to you and surrender every area of our life to you to say you you have it all. You have it all. 
And God, I pray as we sing this last song together and we worship together that if there's anybody here today who needs prayer for anything in their life, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would draw them for prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.